Hi, Stan Forshaw here from Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, and I am delighted that you've chosen to join us today on the podcast. We'd really appreciate if you would subscribe on whatever podcast provider you use, and please do leave us a five-star review if you can. That helps get the message out for the podcast. On this podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Joanna Williamson, a local preacher at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, and co-founder of One Rock International. We recorded this interview on the 11th of March, and I'm well aware, as we are speaking about the situation in Ukraine, that when you're listening to this, the situation may have changed, it may have got worse, it may have got better. But the truths that Joanna speaks about and the stories that she tells are well worth listening to, and we really do urge you to support uh, the situation in Ukraine in any way you can, whenever you're listening to this. So, let's go. So I'm delighted that I am joined today by Dr. Joanna Williamson, a local preacher at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, who also helps with our sanctuary congregation uh, and is a member of our church. Joanna, good afternoon. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Dan. I'm okay, thank you. Um, busy, yeah. Um, but keeping busy with a purpose, which helps. Excellent. Now, Joanna, we, you uh, put some information into our church newsletter, The Grapevine, uh, last week about what is the situation that's happening in Ukraine and Poland, particularly drawing on your own personal experiences of growing up in Poland. I just wondered if you could tell us, um, just give us a bit more information about what is happening um, on the Polish-Ukraine border and how you are hearing about the churches getting involved there. Yes, a lot is happening. And from what I'm hearing, it is changing on hourly basis. So uh, I have checked this morning, over 1,500,000 refugees have crossed over. Przemysl is one of the main crossings, if not the main crossing. Uh, the weather has been horrendous, um, minus 10 at night, uh, so freezing cold. Uh, I have been watching the news and hearing from people it has been snowing. So if you're watching the news, you probably see that there's a blanket of snow across Ukraine. So the conditioning uh, conditions are worsening in Przemysl and Ukraine. Uh, people are coming across that are much more traumatized, poorer, and uh, often now without context, uh, contacts across Europe. So <laughs> people are beginning to see an influx of refugees that have nowhere to go. There's nobody at the border to pick them up. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it just been really quite staggering to, to see how within two days uh, uh, from the beginning of the war, there were all, all already refugees four hours, five hours into the country that I have heard of. So situation there is changing on hourly basis. And mm -hmm. I think what we also have to remember is that um, Polish people, but that's that's also Moldovans and Romanians and Hungarians. But for Polish people that I know, the, the levels of anxiety are very, very high at the moment. So these people who are helping are experiencing their own uh, trauma, their own anxiety. They are obviously picking up fear that the refugees are bringing with them. But the, the real, the real concern that we are going to be next. I just wonder how, as a Christian, you are able to make sense of this current situation. I mean, you know, we, we see, uh, as we say, hourly by hourly, I think this is going to be one of the, the first sort of social media conflicts that we've really witnessed. You know, you just pick up your smartphone and you can see videos from Ukraine of, of different aspects, different sides of going on. And it is, it is a very scary situation for us hundreds, thousands of miles away from it. So it must be particularly uh, distressing for those um, you know, you've got family members back in Poland. I just wondered how how are you as a Christian, as a Christian leader, how do you think about this? But also just 
what what should we be doing? What should we be thinking? Yes, uh, this is such a big question, Dan, and I have been reflecting on it uh, very much from the beginning because I am also a theologian and I feel a great responsibility as a theologian to come up with some deep theological thoughts on it. And I have been struggling uh, myself. Now, that doesn't mean in any way that there isn't a theology to help us with it. It just means that in recent two weeks, it has been so extremely busy that I have myself not been able to sit down and reflect on what it means and what is the meaning of it all. And I really would like to encourage everybody who is currently struggling uh, with uh, lack of meaning uh, in this uh, horrendous war is to keep busy um, because I think we can get really into a corner of what does it mean and we need the meaning. And I know that we are meaning-making species. We want to find meaning. But I think that when it comes to meaning, this is what I came up with. I mean, it's not really any any thought-through stuff. It's just something I have been coming thinking about over the last two weeks. I think that meaning must be collective. And I think what is helping me uh, to make meaning at the moment is to fall back on the stories, on the quotes uh, of those people who have come before us. So I have been rereading Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I have been rereading uh, some of the books that I uh, have read back in Poland, uh, books that have been written during the war. And I think that meaning making is collective. It needs to be collective. We need to go back to these stories, to this wisdom of people that have lived through such a uh, horrendous uh, circumstances. I also think it is individual and all of us uh, are on a journey of unpacking meaning and also realizing that maybe some of us, uh, and it's definitely true for me personally, have some some trauma from the past that we are experiencing at the moment or that has at the moment flared up because of what we're seeing on TV. So collective, individual, and I think also it really is a process. And I, I wish personally for myself, I had time at the moment to sit down and capture some of the thoughts. I, I don't really know how to explain it, but I'm, I have been experiencing a lot of grief and waves of anger uh, even about the situation. But I have also noticed that among the rubber of these mixed dark feelings, uh, there are nuggets of really deep theological thinking and, and God is breaking through with some meaning. I just have not had time to sit down, write it down, reflect upon it. And I just again want to encourage everyone who is struggling, who is feeling the sense of helplessness, anger even about the, what is happening, uh, please, um, Please keep busy helping, being engaged, and the meaning will come. God will help you make meaning out of it, but it may not come immediately today. And I think it needs it requires prayer and reflection. Yeah. Um, I think one of my next question is going to be: I mean, we have seen a, a great outpouring of practical. We last week uh, you made a, a plea within our grapevine, and we put some things out on social media. Not only your prayer. Uh, but also a, a practical appeal for the the church in in Shemish, um on the Polish-Ukrainian border. I mean, I wonder what what can we do here in the UK as a church, not just within Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, but as a church nationally in the UK and globally, because we've got to remember we get people tuning in from all over the world, particularly to our online services. What can we do um, about this situation? Because you say, we you know, you've said about thinking and reflecting on it, but what can we do both practically and more importantly, spiritually? Great question. And the first thing that I want to say is that I think spirituality is 
incredibly practical. So I don't see the division between spiritual aspects of help and practical aspects of help. They have to go hand in hand. And I want to go back to this collective individual process because I think that we can do things collectively, we can do things individually, and we can do things as part of the ongoing process, which unfortunately lies ahead of us. But I also want to say that more specifically, uh, one the first thing that comes to my mind is to continue to pray fervently, continue to pray specifically, and to pray without ceasing. The Bible says that we can pray with all sorts of different types of prayers, and this is true. God accepts a quiet prayer. God accepts a lament. God accepts one word prayer when we just call out to Jesus. But I really feel strongly that now is the time to put forward the most fervent of prayers, an unceasing prayer, prayer that is militant in a way. It's not obviously a good word to use at the moment, but a militant prayer, because we are dealing here also with obviously uh, the forces of evil that spread deception that is very complex. Another thing that we can do is to educate ourselves in history. Uh, I think that for a lot of us uh, in the Western world, and I, I identify it now with the Western world, we, we don't know the history of Eastern Europe well enough to be able to then pray with confidence. Uh, and I think educating ourselves in the history is very important. And lastly, I would say, again, practically and spiritually, if you know anybody from Eastern Europe, obviously Ukrainians are our main priority at the moment, so we don't want to divert from helping them. But you may know people who are from Poland or Romania or Moldova and just be extra kind to them, I would say. Uh, extend this pastoral care because a lot of people from my part of the world are really anxious and uh, the, the kind of the level of... Um, worry about the, the the war in the future is probably much higher than here in UK. I think, yeah, because the, the war is on literally on your doorstep. I think, you know, the last time this country could possibly equate to a similar position would be the summer of 1940, um, way beyond most people listening to this lifetime, even even those of us, even those people listening and watching in the older generation. What What's this? Is there a, a resolve there within people? Is there is there a I mean, one of the striking things for me of this situation has been the, the amount of people volunteering to to fight. And that great quote from Zil President Zelensky, where I don't need a ride, I need ammunition, um, as, as sort of, I think, gelled a response to this of, of standing firm and and fighting for what is right. Um, and I, I think there is, is definitely a, a, a solidarity uh, with that. I just wonder how, how you... Um, how you see that, how you've noticed the changes in Eastern Europe and, you know, we we're talking about the history, uh, you know, in your lifetime. I mean, I wonder if you could just reflect a little bit on just the kind of freedoms that maybe now, particularly in this country, as I said, you know, with it being 80 years ago since we've ever faced anything like this, it can be quite easy to take them for granted, particularly, the, say, the freedom for worship. Yes, uh, I will try to answer it briefly, and I'm sorry if I don't answer it specifically, uh, but uh, yes, I, I was born in Poland and I grew up in communism, so people my generation uh, remember uh, we remember a lot. Uh, obviously, the whole education system was sipped uh, through. With, um, we were reading history um, about the war. We were reading poetry about the war. So people have a very much a worldview 
tilted towards the war and the possibility of it. The changes definitely took place very quickly. Um, my personal, my earliest memories, I don't remember much at all from my childhood, but I do remember the martial law and the curfew and the tanks on the street. And I do remember very vividly the, the nuclear accident in Chernobyl. I was 10 at that time. And I remember ambulances coming to a school and us having to drink the anti-radiation medicine because at the time this is how it was administered. So I remember the trauma of it. And then suddenly there was this massive change. And I went, I went to Cliff College for three years. I came back in 1998. And the streets and even the people looked very different. There was a little bit more color, a little bit more hope and entrepreneurial spirit. But the things in Poland have changed a lot. But I think for my generation and the generation that came before, there's definite a sense of um, of the changes have come. But in the background, there is this ongoing uh, concern about the war. My personal concern, Dan, if I can be honest, is that. I am seeing two different things. And please remember, I am only observing it from UK. I'm not in Poland. I'm hoping to go to Poland soon to, to see what's going on on the ground. But my concern at the moment is that there's so much anger, obviously, that drives the, the, uh, that drives, um, the opposition to war. And it's not surprising, and I'm not judging it. I just know from personal experience that the anger remains in generations for generations to come. It remains in people for generations to come. And this hatred and anger and conflict has been embedded in our our thinking, whether in Poland or Ukraine, for, for many, many years before. And unfortunately, it has flared up. Up even more and it will grow even more and that's really heartbreaking however what gives me hope in this situation is that i i uh, i have heard an interview of uh, i think it was a bbc interview somebody was interviewing a, a refugee that came th uh, from ukraine a woman that couldn't find a shelter in a hotel everything was too expensive and uh, too full and the reporter asked her what uh, what gives you hope and she said well well, she, the, the reporter asked, what gives you hope of winning the war? And she said, because we are on the side of truth. Mm. So I am, these sort of stories give me hope because I think that on one hand, yes, there is a lot of anger and hatred that has been there for generations. But I think on the other hand, collectively people understand that truth will prevail and we will win because the truth is on our side and even ordinary person from ukraine crossing the border in the midst of a personal trauma understands that then i have hope for the future that's a great uh, answer there joanna thank you for that and truth will win I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about what the churches and, and the communities on the border uh, are, are needing at this time. You know, what are these refugees, apart from, you know, we think of obvious things of, you know, like shelter, food and water. But what are some of the other things that the churches require and are asking for at this time that, that are necessary to help these people who are crossing the border and fleeing from war? Mm -hmm. And again, sorry to repeat myself, but this collective individual and process keep coming to my mind. So churches are responding collectively, whether nationally, obviously the Polish Methodist Church nationally is trying to respond. 
uh, to the needs. Uh, churches are responding individually, and then individuals without, within the churches are also doing all they can. And then a lot of us are understanding that's going to be a process. So we need to meet the immediate needs and then begin to think very quickly because the winter will come again. I know we are coming into spring, but the winter will come again. We need to think, how can we be ready for the coming winter? Can we open some of the uh, buildings that are currently not used and, and make a use for them of them for the refugees? But there are so many examples, really. Um, it's sometimes uh, frustrating because I wish I could show a picture and tell a story, but the people on the ground currently are so busy uh, that it's not really easy for them to sit down and tell a story and take a picture. And sometimes taking pictures would not be appropriate. But some of the stories that are coming our way uh, are people who are crazily volunteering to drive across the border. I mean, what courage is that? You know, amazing people loading personal vehicles with staff crossing the border to Ukraine, dropping all the supplies and picking up the refugees that are queuing in line for days at a time. I think this is an amazing example of courage, of an individual being able to do that. But I know that churches are doing that. Um, unfortunately, I think one of the most heartbreaking stories is that I think I've got four of them at the moment, uh, that there are uh, groups of orphans arriving uh, to different parts of Poland. And that's a very different situation situation where a family can be picked up by a rela relative or a friend. Here are orphans that don't have contacts. They, they, they are truly the homeless. They have been they have been abandoned in Ukraine and how do we provide for them? So I know some groups are hosted by uh, by villagers in schools, churches, uh, and one transport of orphans was over 180 children. We must remember these children often have disabilities. These children are already not wanted because of their mental health issues. So how do we provide for them? And and also we must remember, and also when we pray, we must remember that a lot of us are learning as we are going. We at One Rock, we have zero experience working with refugees. We are just making ourselves available and we are learning as we are doing the work, uh, hoping that God will provide the stamina and the wisdom. But churches are doing amazing things all around. Romania today, I have heard from the Romanian Methodist Church, uh, they are just, just fantastic, I think. And let's remember that countries like Romania and Moldova especially are poorer than, let's say, Poland, less developed, and people are throwing so many resources at them. And I think the most poignant story was that uh, I heard that Polish government has been asking people to donate blood. And uh, it's drastic that we are at this stage where we need to be doing that, but it really kind of captured my heart because I thought surely we serve the, the one who has shed his blood for all of us. And there is um, there is enough of a supply of Jesus' blood uh, to, 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 to help people in Ukraine. Joanna, that's been so insightful for us and so useful. I hope we'll be able to have a, a proper chat for the podcast sometime where we can we can know more about uh, One Rock and yourself and Mark and when we get you both on. But thank you for that update. Uh, be assured of our continued prayers. And um, if everyone uh, can... Uh, wants to to give there are several links on the church website i'm aware of that and also one rock have sent an appeal up as well is that correct do you want to give me that address and then we can we can put it on the screen as people as you say i will edit it in yes that's what that's right it's one rock international.com 
slash Ukraine, onerockinternational.com slash Ukraine. And we are seeking to connect with those people who are currently not connected to bigger organizations, but are in need of support. Joanna, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Please make sure, again, as I said at the beginning, that you are subscribing on your particular podcast provider. And please do make sure you give us a like, a rating, a five-star rating if you can. That enables more people to find out about our podcast. Don't forget to check out the church website, mchw.live, for all our live services at our church online every Sunday. Uh, we're bringing you broadcasts from our chapel in Westminster. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoy these and we will see you soon. Mm-hmm.